Welcome to People's Church Radio Program. We're going to be winding up making a better life. There are some things that you're going to want in your life, three things that we're going to talk about that will bring you God's blessing, God's power, and God's anointing. Those three things are quite different. We all live in a general sense of God's blessing. Uh, the sun rose, it shines, things grow, you know, we harvest, we uh, are able to do all kinds of things in the blessing of God. He says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We all have that. But then there's the blessings of God that can become very specific to you, that he has packages of blessings that are specific to your account with him saying that I have specific things I want to bless you in. When God does that, he's just being God. He's extremely generous. And then the power, what is power? Well, you and I often pretend we have the power and largely we find out we do not. We run up against a lot of things in life that we can't control, relationships. Have you ever tried to make that work in a controlling way? Doesn't work well. It has a very limited lifespan. And we need power to be able to do the right things in this world. You cannot do the right things all on your power. It's not possible. You cannot forgive enough, love enough, give enough. You cannot, you cannot in any way even present your gifts to be used in the most powerful way without God's power. You need God's power just to live as a Christian. The third thing that we want you to get is God's anointing. God's anointing is something in an Old Testament sense and New Testament sense is where God places something upon you that gives you all the capabilities of the world and he is able to move you into his purpose and what he wants. He anoints you for his purpose. He has purpose for you, even in what these people are going through right now in our neighbors and our, some of our families from church right now. There's purpose in God in these things, and he will accomplish these things. He will let disasters happen. That is what this world is. It is apart from God. It's a different system. It's just simply called in the scriptures the world system. And, uh, and God can't bless uh, all of the things that are, are rooted within rebellion to him. But as believers in Christ, you have a purpose that God specifically has for you here to be lived out and it takes his anointing, he anoints you for it. He gives you the ability to do it. He'll capture your heart and your mind with vision for it. He's gonna motivate you with influence to your heart to go do it. Uh, he's gonna press you and say, no, come on, don't you give up. You get back on this trail. This is where I want you to go. Pick yourself up, let's go, I am with you. So much of these three things is needed in just living out the Christian faith. And so we're gonna take a look though at three traps to start with. Three things that will keep you from those three things that you need in your life. Three traps are found in 1 John 2, 15 through 17 and every believer is subject to these traps. These three things are the very essence of the world of being worldly, of the world system, how the world functions, how the world thinks, and how it responds. And he goes at it and he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. He says they're not congruent. They're incongruent. These two loves. You cannot have a love for one and then a love for the other. And he goes on and says, for everything in the world, and then he lists three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So when we start talking about this particular subject and we look at these three traps, there's three things that he's saying make up the world and you as a believer can easily fall into one or more of these traps. And when you're in those traps, you just, the love for God isn't growing. You're not living in the great anointing of purpose for your life. 
When it comes to power, you know the right things, but you just can't carry it through. And when it comes to just simply his blessing, the packages that he has individually prepared for you in blessing are withheld because you're not working and claiming those things. So let's talk about these three traps very quickly. The lust of the flesh is just selfish desires. It means that it's, it's of the world. We are born with these desires. Now, all of these desires uh, are basic to the human nature and basic to what our flesh needs. For instance, food, just a simple little thing like food. If we were to talk about food, food is a great thing. How many agree that food is a great thing? How many guys are going to be really wise this morning and say, my wife makes great food. She just makes great food. Be very wise. When it comes, how many wives are going to say, it's him that cooks, right? He makes great food. Okay, there goes a bunch. I figured. So when it comes, when it comes to food, food is a good thing. We, we're not going to make it a bad thing. It's not. But you and I know that food can become a bad thing because we are completely obsessed by it. We become obsessed towards it to the disparagement of other things that matter. We get out of balance, so to speak, so that now food, we're moving to things like an old word that we don't hear too often anymore, like gluttony or things like that, where food is ruling. It takes a different place in your life. It's not just good tasting nourishment for your body so you can get moving. Now it's become something that you are just focused on, you're fascinated with, you're completely engaged with. That's moving it into an imbalance in your life. It's that you can have all the passion you want for food and it can be in a healthy zone or you can have a lot of passion that goes into an unhealthy zone where food is ruling you. That is what is talked about with the lust of the flesh. The flesh never is going to keep any natural desire in your life in the normal realm, sexuality. Sexuality is another one that's a great desire. It's a, it, it's a beautiful desire that God has given to men and to women. But sexuality can easily become something that you become obsessed with, that all of a sudden it's not just something beautiful in your life, something that you prepare for and engage with, with God's uh, order, but rather we just allow the flesh to take it and run it and we just go with it. And then we get the damage and we get all of the problems that come through these things. Because the flesh in itself actually is about destroying itself. When you let flesh direct your life, it destroys your life. It never adds to your life. You become a glutton, I promise you, you're going to pay a price. You allow sexuality to drive you and away from what you know is right or the ethics that you know are healthy and are going to build you or build your relationships, then what's going to happen is it will bring a destructive power into your life. Now, God, by his grace, always has roads back. Isn't that wonderful? And God, by his grace, is also working to nurture you so that you get stronger and stronger and that these things become more, more what they were intended to be, the beauty that they are designed to have. You can take any natural order of your flesh and then it can become lust of the flesh and that's what your flesh will do every time it's going to get right out of balance with it the lust of the eyes is an attraction of materialism things that you can see out here and then usually comparison is involved so lust of the eyes is what you see is that idea of you can look out and you can you can see that these things and I and I want that and you go back to the Garden of Eden this was the one that first captured Eve it says that she looked at it and the fruit looked good it really did look at it, and I'm not going to disparage the fruit. The fruit wasn't the problem. It was that God gave them a choice so that their sovereign will would be validated. And so she had this great choice to make every day. But now, through the lust of the eyes, she looked at the fruit, saw that it was good to eat and good to look at, and she took it. That's a decision that she made at that point in time based on what her eyes were engaged with. The eyes are powerful, powerful vehicles. 
um, so powerful, Jesus spoke about it, saying your eyes have the risk of actually destroying your soul. You see, the fact is that if you are gonna look through your eyes at everything, he says it's better you didn't even have eyes if you didn't, it, that, so that you could spiritually live. He's saying, in a sense, he's saying when they, get, when they get weird and they get out of balance and they are feeding wrong things in, and we know the power of it, Every one of us in this room understand the power of it. And by the way, we live in such a visual age, do we not? I mean, like everything around us is so visual. Like you've got the world on, on a touch screen or you've got the world on a control, you know, and you, you can just go anywhere you want. Basically, watch whatever you want. Nothing is withhold. How many here right now would say you've got children and, uh, and you're concerned about what they're seeing in this world. You're concerned about what their eyes, what is available to their eyes. How many would be honest to say, that's a concern for me? It, it is for all of us, folks. It's very important for us to recognize the power of these. And I'm glad that you are concerned because there is much that their eyes can find that your eyes, when you grew up, it was not available to you. Lust of the eyes. Materialism, that is its root. Materialism is not just the desire to purchase goods. Materialism has something to do with something deeper. It means that I put all my value on the goods. My life is defined by the goods. Who I am serves the goods and it's, I'm defined by these goods. And so I need more goods to expand my definition of me. Next is what we call the pride of life, he said. The pride of life. Interesting. Uh, this is about my strength and accomplishments. So this is where we look at life through the achievement lens and we're saying, I have achieved this. It's sort of the next rung of the ladder thing where you're looking at the next achievement and from that comes the hit that, that you're looking for. And the hit that you're looking for is again a value hit. But what, we're, what he brings out in this, he says that these things, they don't even come from the Father but from the world. When these things come out of balance in our life, they are from the world. And this is the world's view. And, and a lot of people will tell you, ah, just don't take it too serious. I mean, come on. Don't take it so serious what your kids are gonna watch. Don't take it so serious what your eyes watch. You can handle this. Don't take it so serious when you see imbalances in your life that are desires that are normally natural, but then they become sinful. Uh, don't take it so serious because, you see, it doesn't really matter that much. The pride of life is if it has to do with independence from God. This is where we become God-like Adam and Eve again. We go back to that original story. In that story, the whole line of selling them was on the selling on the, of the pride of life saying you really don't need God, you can be like God. So may, you can be like him and know the you know, truth and, and you can know lies, you can know good, you can know evil. You, you can be like him in that regards. It was a big con job, but in doing so, uh, they got sold on this pride of life of independence. The sad part was that what God had intended is that they should be part of his family and have the greatest freedom and they didn't recognize it, but they had actually chosen for themselves a bondage. It was a bondage now to death, not just physical dying, which was now about to enter, but to spiritual death so that now our hearts don't live in that union with he that is the author of life itself. And that's where they had fallen into and so we find that to make a better life, these things are the th three traps that trap every, every man, woman, teenager. I mean, this is, just goes at you. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But I don't want to focus all day on that. I want to focus on three bondage breakers because these are the things that you want to focus on actually. Too, much people, too many people are trying to change from focusing on the negative. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going. That should be a one-time decision. You know what I mean? You pre-purpose in your heart. It's kind of like Daniel when he was taken captive. He just pre-purposed in his heart and he said, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be one of the Babylonians. I, God has got me here for his purpose. It's great, and even from a young man. That's how this guy lived out his life. You purpose it in advance. But you don't have to focus on the negatives of that. 
What you want to do is focus on the actual things that keep you free from those bondages and if you're in them, how to break them and how to get out of them. And the first one is integrity. Integrity, it breaks the bondage of the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is there to destroy your in integrity. You are meant to be an integrated person. Mind, spirit, the soul, right? And the flesh. You are meant to be integrated. And that means that, that's, what, that's the root word of integrity, is that these things all function together. You're not one thing here and one thing here. You see, you got a war going on all the time, and it's, he calls it the war of in, our, in our members, who we are. And there can be a war going on between what your mind and what your heart are saying, and all of these things are a part of how we are made. Integrity is, break, is getting to the point where we can say, even in our failures, I am seeking out truth and living truth in every area of my life. That's a difficult assignment and it'll take you a whole life just to continue to practice and live it out. And that's what we're doing when we grow in Christ. We become more like him and he is the only one that was ever integrated perfectly this way. He's God in the flesh. And so when we take a look at truth, you have a relationship with truth. So how do you become known for integrity? Here's how you become, here's how you would say these, this person has integrity. It's, it's their relationship with truth. You must have a healthy relationship with the truth. When we start lying to ourselves, oh, I can handle it, or it's not a big deal, or we just don't even listen to those knocks on the inside, you know. We're, we're not paying attention to those things. When we're in that kind of condition, you're just lying to yourself. You're destroying your own integrity even for your own self. For you won't even believe in your own integrity. So you must have a healthy relationship with the truth. Let me give you four things quickly about how you do that. First, speak the truth plainly. Speak the truth plainly. It, it, it's something that, amazingly, it is hard for people to do, it's hard for us at times just to speak it plainly. Just, here's the truth. Uh, my wife asked me, are you okay? Okay. And inside, I know I'm not really doing okay, right? I might be angry, frustrated, tired, whatever. And I just say what, what do I say? No, I don't. I say, honey, I am a broken man. I need... <laughs> If you believe that garbage, I'll tell you. No, I do what you just said. I basically, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Why not just speak the truth plainly and, and truth plainly say, you know, I don't even know what I'm feeling right now, but I don't like it. Why don't we just get right up front with it? Because when we speak the truth plainly, what we're doing is, is it challenges us. It's, it's a challenge to us. And it's a challenge to the relationships that we are in. Uh, the word, key word here is plainly. <laughs> okay, you've all done this. And I know I've used this before, but it's just, just so right on this. You get in the car, you haven't decided where you're going to go eat. You're with your wife or, or your girlfriend or whatever or boyfriend. And you first question is, where do you want to go? Or even a worse question, this is one I've learned not to ask. What do you feel like? <laughs> From there, that can go to food and anywhere. You know, narrow it down. What do you want to eat? And then it usually goes something like this. Well, it, it really doesn't... You all live in the same world I do. It really doesn't matter. And then you say, well, okay, what do you feel like, a burger? No. <laughs> Thank you. I'm having flashbacks. Finally, it gets down to some frustrating zone 
and you've gone through the list of the culinary list of the entire world. And you usually get out of the car and go back in and have peanut butter honey toast or something. <laughs> when we speak the truth plainly, we are giving an opportunity for something really special to happen, which is integrity. Which is in, because once somebody speaks truly to you plainly, plainly, just plain, you go, even though it might even be rough, it might be a rough truth, it might be a good truth, it doesn't matter, but it's spoken plainly. You go, I can trust that person. Now, why are you thinking trust on those? Because of integrity. So there is a great scripture on that. Paul said this, am I like the people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? And surely as God is true, I am not that sort of person. My yes means yes because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, never wavers between yes and no. Jesus doesn't waver between yes and no. So the clearer your yes or the clearer your no, the closer you are to Jesus. Speak it plainly. Next, share the truth completely. Incomplete truth is just another way of being deceptive. Proverbs 10.10 says, someone who holds back the truth causes trouble. Woof, ouch. Uh, Proverbs 28, 23, in the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. Would you agree with that? Like, would you rather have frankness than flattery? Some of you are saying, no, I'll take a little flattery. You know, it's all right. Frankness in truth is, is, is again, an integrity and a trust builder. And when the whole story's out, rather than you bleed it out, you know, with 20 questions... Third, use the truth tactfully. Use the truth tactfully. Speak only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. More or less, the end objective of telling the truth to somebody uh, and, or of even being told the truth, you should, the end objective should be benefit. Right? Benefit. More or less for the good. It should achieve some good. So the truth is needed for these benefits in our life. And it really, the scriptures are very plain. It just says, be tactful. You know, speak only what's going to help for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, have you ever been there where you're at some party somewhere and you, you got, you're with a bunch of friends and you notice that somebody's got some asparagus stuck right here? What's going through your mind when you see that? Ha, ha, ha. Just let them walk around with asparagus stuck between their teeth and smiling all night long. Or just speak to them truthfully and be tactful and say, you know, I just want to tell you right now that a little bit of your dinner is stuck to your front teeth. Fourth, live the truth consistently. So we've got plainly, completely, tactfully, and consistently. The more consistent you are in truth, the greater trust you'll build in every relationship you got. The less consistent you are in truth, you're, you're undermining the integrity or the trust within your relationships. Doesn't that, you know it, you know it. Because I know, I know what you trust. I really hate the 20 question thing. You know, to try and get to truth and, and I really like it when there's a consistency. I tell you, the people you trust in your life right now are the most consistent people in speaking to you in a manner of truth. That's where your trust goes. It immediately goes down that path. Let our lives lovingly express the truth in all things. Speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. When we speak truth and integrity and trust get built in, then what happens is that the lust of the flesh, where you are going to have these natural things, always wanting to dive into the imbalance of them, you're going to find the integrity or strength of body, soul, mind 
to stand strong and to be wise enough to flee the temptations that you know are grabbing you. Joseph's story. She grabbed his robe. She desperately wanted sex with this young man. One time she got him alone in a room, took, grabbed his robe. He literally ran out of the room, leaving his robe. Then she falsely accused him. He becomes a prisoner. Ooh. Truth will help you big time in establishing integrity. And integrity is when temptation is only, when you don't have integrity, then your mind can jump way out front because it's the one out of balance. You're watching everything. You've got all your eyes focused and your mind is storing all this stuff. And immediately you're just trying to fight it now in this one area. But you've got a soul, a heart. Yeah, a heart for God, but your mind is filled with this. And because it's not integrated, you're weak. When it's integrated, you're stronger in temptation. Next, how do you break? How do we break the bondage breakers of these three traps? Lust of the flesh, which is selfish. Desires. Lust of the eyes, which we will get to. And uh, we're going to go to this one instead. Humility. This breaks the bondage of the pride of life. Every day we face the simple test of greatness and it's all determined by just two things. Exalt yourself or humble yourself. That's what you're making those decisions all the time. When we are making decisions about exalting ourselves, we are really moving into a strong comparison model. We're moving into that independence and we are into a competitive relationships only. And we compete for value, really. I'm more valuable than you. I've got more money than you. I have a bigger house than you. I drive a car with, you know, uh, that is brand new. I'm, we can do these things with these things. I'm not saying everybody does. I'm saying you can do this with these things. And what happens with this is that you are exalting yourself in a comparison model. When you humble yourself, you're putting the value of the person higher than anything that you have, anything that you would base your value on that's not God. So you're making decisions every day. Exalt yourself or humble yourself. Now, first, humility brings health to ambition. Ambition's a good word. I'm, it's not a bad word. Ambition is a very good word. But the same as anything, it can be something that's ruled by flesh. It's ruled by what you stored through the eyes. It's, it can be ruled by the pride of life. Ambition... It says in Matthew 18, 4, therefore whoever humbled himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So ambition without humility, when you mix humility with ambition in your life, hear this, guys. It's good to be ambitious. Get out there. Let's do some good stuff. But you got to mix humility in there because ambition left in its raw state will go nowhere good. But when it's mixed with humility, then you end up with this. Ambition without humility makes you demanding. It makes you demanding. Ambition with humility keeps you depending. Depending on God. You know that it's God that's blessed you with the health. You know that God has blessed you with the opportunity. You know that God is leading in your life and you want that more than anything that you would ever achieve. You've already achieved the most important thing and that is a relationship with the Lord. Now release your ambition and let that partnership of humility be matched with your ambition so that you will keep depending on God because you're taking on things that are bigger than you all the time and they bring glory to him and they build you so that you're constantly, your life is a great testimony towards the goodness and the grace of God. Second, our need to be exalted is made healthy by humility. In Matthew, again, 23, 11 to 12, it says, the greatest among you will be your servant for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
So we have this need, you know, to kind of, you know, here's some of the sayings we have. Stand above the crowd. Rise above the masses. That's not an achievement. It may be a position. If God has put you in that position, like he put Daniel way up next to the king, or Nehemiah next to the king, or Joseph next to Pharaoh, if he does that, that's fantastic. And it came out of all of those men's faithfulness and heart for God that it happened. They didn't go and run at it. They followed God. And that's where he put them. What happens is that humility is something that if it's not there in your life, you become unhealthy very, very quickly. How many conversations have you had that are totally one-sided? Where you're sitting in a conversation and what you're hearing is from one person and that's what you're hearing. All you hear is about them and what's going on and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Or maybe you're sitting in a conversation and you're the only one. Humility is something that's needed to place the value on the other person. It's, a, it's being the servant. It's the greatest among you will be your servant. He, he says very plainly, if you, if the greatest among us right here are going to be the servant. Now you might be serving next to the king or be the king himself. But what makes you a servant is your humility. You're not exalting yourself. Thirdly, humility handles our tendency to compare. This is such a human trait to live in a comparison world. And, the, and it has nothing good for your value. It does nothing good. Any value you feel by being a rung up, uh, one rung up the ladder from somebody else is a value that can't be sustained. It will come down. You can lose that things very, very quickly. You think about the fires around Alberta all over our province right now. And you think about what is being lost in some homes and some things and maybe businesses and things that right now, uh, you know, it's going to be horrible and terrible losses. And if you've built your whole life on comparing and that your value was on what you had built. It's not just the losses of things anymore. It's a loss of a sense of value. It's not what God wants you to look at your life like. Listen to this scripture in Luke 14, 10 through 11. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. He's talking about like to a banquet. When you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I was watching the Oilers game yesterday. How many watched the Oilers game yesterday? Anyway. <clears throat> so I was watching the Oilers game yesterday and I'm looking around at the seats, right? Looking at the seats. And, and then I started thinking, wow, look at, you know, some of these people in all these prime seats, you know, I mean, prime and that's pricey seats right now. Big time pricey. And I'm thinking, yeah, if I was there, I know where I'd be sitting. I'd be in the nosebleed section up there. It'd be like the furthest one up there on the end, hidden behind some usher, you know, but... <laughs> You know, funny thing is, last time I went to an Oilers game, it was a few years back, and I, you have your seat. I'm seated, and it was, it was a good seat. And, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be so good, good seat. And I got my granddaughter, and I've got my wife, and we're just all excited about this Oilers game. And just when the puck's going to get dropped, I have this guy with this great big hair <laughs> and a big guy sit right in front of me. I said, Linda, let's switch seats. <laughs> you know, and here I'm thinking, I paid how much for this seat? Right? 
And here I got this guy in front of me, and I got to do this to see the game. And, you know, that's what it is in life. When we start to do these kinds of comparisons in life, and we start to look at, at getting the best seats at the banquet, and we think that that's the whole deal in life, he's saying, hey, take the worst, and then let the host move you forward. How many want to work with a person that's willing to take the lowest seat and have the host move them forward? I want to work with that person. Do you know why I want to work with them? Because they're not coming in with the, I deserve this and I'm going to grab the best. They're coming in with, give me the lowest seat and I'll, I'll, I'll let you move me. But I will show you. I will show you something. See, there's something about these things in life, in the real life, that really work. Fourth, humility gives us the right position with God. Famous story uh, that Jesus told, it's found in conclusion in Luke 18, 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Two men went to the temple to pray, he says in telling the story. And one was a Pharisee, one was a tax collector, which are the... They are the bottom of your sole of your foot. That's where you want them. They are just, they were hated. I mean, hated. They were like the most treasonous people in all of Israel in, their, in the people's mindset. In their mind, that's what they were. And so here he goes to the temple to pray and the Pharisee goes to the temple to pray and he's the uppercut of the society. And his prayer goes something like this. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. There's a comparison. You see the comparison? I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. You know, I do this, I do this, I do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. So he had his list. And he's saying, I'm so thankful that I am such a success in your eyes. God, look at this. And then he points to the guy. I thank you, I'm not like him. This guy comes in, falls on his knees, beats his chest, says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we lose the right positioning, we lose the great sense of the privilege of grace in our life. If there's anything that's been built good in your life as a believer, as you follow Christ, it is because of his beautiful grace that first saved you and continues to save you from yourself. God has the right position. You're holy. I am not. You're generous. I've received it. Humbleness, humility. First Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. More or less, who does the humbling? Humble yourself. Everybody says, oh, God, humble me. Don't pray that prayer. It's a crazy prayer. He'll just come back and say, you humble yourself. You make the choice. You humble yourself right here. Ah, oh, oh, my Lord, you don't know what she did. And you don't know how he hurt me. You don't know what. You humble yourself right here. You choose that. And then he does the lifting up in due time. The third thing that breaks things is generosity. Generosity. This breaks the bondage of the lust of the eyes. The pride of life is broken simply through humility. I need God. This one out of the three is the one that we underestimate the most. This is the character trait that if I got to raise a bunch more children and they got ready to where they were going to get married and move on, I would say, here is the marker I want for you to look for in who you are choosing. I want you to look for generous heart, a generosity. Let me explain to you. First, generosity is an inside to the outside movement. It's not an outside to the inside movement. 
Generosity is something that is of the heart that you have the right to possess what you have, but that right is laid down as a servant. So you move out things out of your heart to the world around you, to the people around you. You're moving it from the inside to the outside. You want to know what a person's really, really like. You want to know what you're like. You check the movement from the inside to the outside. And that's the only marker I know that does this accurately is generosity because generosity shows up in real world time. It shows up in your time, your energy, and your money. It's hard evaluation. It's hard data. It's not soft data. And you can look at your generosity and say, what is moving out of my heart? To the world around me, to the people in the world around me. What is coming from the inside to the outside? Now, lust of the eyes, on the other hand, is an outside to the inside movement. So I see things out here, and then I'm saying, I compare, well, they've got one, I want one, uh, I've always wanted that, that's such, oh. And then that moves from the outside to the inside, and it takes over. And it will kill generosity. You can't, can't have both happening. That's why I would tell any, if I ever had the privilege of, of just raising kids and bringing them up to marital age again, if I could do all that, I would be saying, here's one marker, just this one marker. Just look at this one marker. It's a hard data point. Generosity. People that are generous are people that are really of good heart. Now, here's the thing. Many times we think we're generous, but we're not. We measure our generosity because maybe one area, oh, I gave my time. Or I gave some money. Or energy. I put my energy into this. Generosity is from the heart and it cannot be localized to just one of three areas. You, if you're generous, you're generous everywhere. You're generous in forgiveness. You're generous in serving others. You are generous in giving finance. You are generous in, in using your gifts and talents and giving them and packaging them in the time that you have and using that. You're consistent throughout. That's the generosity that we're talking about. Not some little thing that hits your excess and says, oh, I can be generous there. Oh, I have some extra time. Or this is, you know, I got some energy I can throw into this. Or I've got some extra money I can put in. No, generousness is a practice of your heart. And it isn't, it isn't just to these exclusive little corners of your life. It is looking after the main run of your life. And so it deals with all of your main resources. Generosity is inside to the outside movement. Then when you are going to go from the lust of the eyes, it's going to be from an outside to the inside movement. Nothing reveals the heart like generosity. Nothing. Look at the scripture. Your heart will be wherever your treasure is. Wherever, you want to know a person's heart right now? This is your map. There's the map. Wherever the treasure is, that's their heart. How do you know where the tre wherever they protect exclusively for them? Man, I like it that I get to say some tough things and you keep coming back. Why are you here? Generosity is the actions of true love. It's action. It's actual action. It's, it's hard data points. You can measure. And then we finish with this. Deuteronomy 14, 23. God is so much into this. In the Christian world, right from all the way through, he's saying the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Why did God give us tithing? Because he needs to finance his work? No. He gave you tithing so that you keep him first. Now, why tithing? Because he knows that's one of the three things that you will protect the most. 
Here's what generosity does for you. I'm going to give them two quick. They're not in your notes. Try and hang on to one. I'm going to read you 12 quick. Generosity honors God. Got scriptures on all of these. Generosity draws me closer to God. Generosity makes me more like Jesus. Generosity is the cure for materialism. Generosity demonstrates my faith. Generosity reveals my character. Generosity brings God's blessing. Generosity increases my happiness. Generosity expands my influence. Generosity multiplies my money. Generosity brings God's protection. And generosity, the peak of the mountain is this, will be rewarded in heaven. He notes it. He says, in fact, this is the one thing I will really measure if you're caught a child of mine. Generosity. What a powerful thing it is just to make one choice on generosity and get that heart's treasure in the right place and have the inside to the outside movement rather than the outside to the inside movement. Let's stand together. We're going to have communion this morning to finish it off and this is the most generous action that has ever been taken. Jesus Christ came. Him and the Father had always lived in perfect union. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, Father, Son. And in that perfect union, uh, there was a love that they have for what they created. And they created you in his, in his image. And that image got marred by sin. But he didn't leave us with a marred image. He had a plan and a purpose for it all. There's nothing that has ever surprised him. It's part of his validation of your sovereignty and your choice, which is the foundation of real love. And he said, I really want you to learn to love me. Job said to his wife, who said, curse God and die, she said, what, should I expect only good things from him and not some of these evil things that God would allow in my life? He knew how to love God. He loved him. And that's what God has always aimed for when it comes for that. And so what he did, he didn't leave us in this poverty state where eternal life escapes us. And we have nothing but eternal separation from God. He said, I'm coming to breach that separation. I am going to make a bridge. I'm getting a way for you. There will be a way, and that way is Jesus Christ. And for us that have received Jesus Christ as our Savior... We have come into a whole new life. And the blood of Jesus Christ is the payment plan that God exacted upon himself. In exacting that payment plan, he gave you the greatest gift possible, which was himself, and not just himself, but himself on the cross. And when he went to the cross... It was only love that he allowed to put him on that tree. The ultimate servant. He who is righteous. Dying for all unrighteous. And so when we take communion. We are celebrating the most generous gift and giving ever. And that's Jesus. And so as we celebrate it, it cost him. Broken body, shed blood. Sins carried, dealt with, paid for, never to be brought up again unless you want to hang on to them. But as believers, your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus. You are as white as snow. You say, I don't feel so white. It doesn't matter what you feel. This is a legal thing that took place in the courts of heaven. The decision was made and your judgment was put on him so he will not judge you no matter how bad you might feel about your performance. Instead, let's break some of the bondages and grow to the glory of Christ. 
So as we take in communion today, I hope there'll be such an appreciation of this huge generosity. But before we do, we want to pray. You may be here and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I would love for you to take communion with us today, but that is the stipulation. That's the only stipulation for taking communion. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be lined up with everything. Communion is a celebration of the transaction, the legal standing you stand in before God. And it's the blood and the broken body. So when we take it, we are celebrating what has been achieved, not what will be, it has been done. And we're remembering he who did it. And we're reminding ourselves. We are like that guy that walks into the temple and beats the breast and says, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And we did that one day. And that humility produced in you a salvation, a legal one. If you've never received Jesus, we're gonna bow our heads, give you a chance to do that. You just, you can borrow a prayer that I will give you in the quietness of your heart and God definitely knows all your thoughts and every thought and he will hear your prayer. And if you're a believer today, Maybe you need to get some things right. Maybe one of these three areas or all three. Trust him with the same grace. It's there. Let him heal you. Get back on real change. Fathers, we bow our heads. I pray that our hearts would just link with you right now in this moment. If you're here today and you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, as much as you understand it, here's a little prayer you can just borrow in the quietness of your heart. And you would say, Father, I thank you for your love. That's obvious. I thank you that you sent Christ and that he paid for my debt and it's legally transpired I want to receive that payment plan so I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord I surrender my life to him I humble myself before you and acknowledge that I need your mercy and so I accept that free gift and I ask you Lord to now train me in integrity, humility, and generosity. For these are the three things that will break the traps that would seek to destroy my life. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call, 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.